at the beginning, I said today is a big day, that today is moving day. It's moving day for four of our young people, for Addie and Brennan and Presley and Sydney. It's moving day, I pray also, for all of us in this room, that we might be a congregation of people moved to a new place in life and a new place in faith by the Holy Spirit during our time together. Um, People moved to relocate ourselves into the life of exile into which God calls us, a life as strangers in a strange land. Has anybody here ever moved in their life? Right, probably a good number of us have moved at some point. So here's the thing, raise, to, raise your hand if you've ever moved to a new house. All right, now keep it up if you've ever moved to a new city. If you haven't moved to a new city, you can up. How about if you've moved to a new state? A few fewer of us. Anyone have moved to a new country in our lives? A few of us. All right, now let's ask the opposite one. I, I had no takers in first service. Anybody never move? Like you're still in the same place you've always been right? So that was me. When I, until I was 21, I had never moved. Aside from moving into a dorm room in college, I'd never changed my permanent residence. In fact, my mom still lives. This is the house I grew up in. My mom still lives in the house where I wasn't born in the house, but where I went right after I was born. But once I started moving, I didn't mess around. Like Liz and I, we lived in five different zip codes in our first five years together. The law eventually caught us. They usually do, but um, <laughs> it's not true. Uh, really, we were moving for school, and some of the moves were easy, and they almost didn't feel like we'd really even moved at all. Like, our first big move was from Indiana to Illinois, and it was like the same stores, the same Midwest accent, the same grid layout to town. The name changed, but that was about it. It was easy to forget that we were actually in a new place because it's just the same as everywhere we'd already been. When we moved to Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania, it was different. We'd moved out of the Midwest. And do you know they have hills in Pittsburgh? Where I grew up, there were no hills. It was flat. And we actually had to drive through a hill and a tunnel just to get into town. And we lived on a hill. It was called Squirrel Hill. It was this traditional Jewish neighborhood. Even the Chinese restaurant was kosher. I thought that was pretty cool. And the streets were not at all straight. There was no grid. It was like when the city planners got together, they just dropped a pile of spaghetti on the map, and that's where the streets ended up being. I never figured out the spaghetti, but I, I did eventually feel kind of like it was home, like we were part of this place. It was easy eventually to forget that I wasn't really from there, that I'd ever even been a stranger in this strange Land. I knew that, that we were Pittsburghers when I had a favorite pizza place on that street. There were three right in a, way, in a row, and you can see one of them, Napoli Pizza, and then there was Mineo's and Aiello's, and, and I claimed Mineo's. And the moment I claimed one of those three, that was your rite of passage. You are now from here. You are part of this. Even in, in Grain Valley, like we'd never, before moving here, we'd never lived in a suburb before. And when we first came to look at houses, like my brain could not process what I was, these rows and rows of houses. Like you hear Grain Valley, I thought there would be rows and rows of wheat. But no, y'all grow houses in your farmland here. And the streets were confusing and they looked all the same. And I had no idea like what house we'd looked at. I could not tell you how to get back there. But now, five, six years later, I'm, I'm taking shortcuts 
I'm like, I only probably maybe just once a day do I turn into a cul-de-sac on accident and have to turn around and go to the next street. And if you ask my kids where they're from, I think, would you say Grain Valley now? Someone said, where are you from? Yeah, I, I probably would probably do the same. But back when we moved to Japan, to a town called Shinmachi, there was no hiding that we weren't from around there. <laughs> there was no hope we could ever forget we weren't strangers, immigrants, foreigners. Like, I was tall. The only time in my life I've been tall <laughs> was there. We were the only non-Asians in our town where we lived. We stood out everywhere we went. We messed up customs left and right, said the wrong words, didn't know the words. I had it a bit easier than Liz because I at least spoke some of the language when we got there and I had a job with people willing to help me out and navigate the community. Liz had a two-year-old. And while we eventually made friends, found a church, had a routine and another baby, I don't think either of us ever considered, like, this, is, this could be home forever. Like, I'm from here in the way that I could say I'm from Grain Valley now or Indiana, Illinois, or Pittsburgh. It was never going to feel like this is where I come from. And that's where Peter takes us today. In his letter, First Peter, he takes us to this place where the early Christians were called out right off the bat. He reminds his readers, them and us, that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as people who put their faith in the events of last Sunday, we're exiles. We're living in a place that is not our own. We're strangers in a strange land. This world, as we look around, it's not our home, our forever home, not really. And this letter is about getting us back to living like we don't belong here. And I'll let Peter explain it to you. This is First Peter 1, verses 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen and destined by God the Father, sanctified by the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you've had to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him, now you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we do thank you. We thank you that people so long ago, people like Peter, wrote letters to new Christians that are still here to encourage and remind us what it is like to follow you and who we are to be as we follow you. 
You know us, each of us, our hearts, our souls, and so speak to us, each of us, a word that you've designated just for us. Encourage and empower us, your people. Amen. Now, there are a lot of like big Jesus Christianese words in Peter's letter, but I want to, in fact, actually, in the original Greek, that was all one big long sentence. But we're going to start with just the first three words, or five words, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And yes, it's that Peter, the one who tried to walk on water, the one who proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah and then denied knowing him, the one who, on whom Jesus would, Christ would build his church, and the one who the first sermon he ever gave, 3,000 people came to Christ. That's, those are big shoes to try and fill your first sermon out and 3,000 people come to Jesus. That's this Peter who wrote a letter to the Galatians living in Asia Minor, the regions of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So if you look on a map today, that's Turkey. So he's sending this letter to all these new Christians in Turkey, which you can see is quite a bit of ways away from Jerusalem down there in Palestine. And so Peter calls them exiles, exiles of the dispersion. They are exiles living in a land that is not their own. So in a very real sense, there were most likely these people that Peter was writing to, they were Christians, Jewish Christians, living outside of Jerusalem and Judea. They were literally part of a Jewish community that had been dispersed over time. Even today we talk about the Jewish diaspora when we talk about Jewish populations around the globe. And that word dispersion that's translated dispersion in Greek it's actually diasporos, diaspora, the Jews that have been scattered throughout the world. These Jewish Christians, they weren't living in the promised land. They weren't part of the same community in Jerusalem where the leaders of this new movement, this Christian movement were. And so they were living in a place that wasn't maybe their true home but also they're exiles in the same way that we're exiles because of what Christ showed all of us, that through his life, death, and resurrection, the promise of his kingdom come, Christ made it clear that this world is not as it should be. I think pretty much everybody can agree if you've seen the news ever, this world is not as it should be. It's not as it will be. And God has chosen those Um, Peter calls them the elect, has chosen those Christians and has chosen all of us to be citizens of the kingdom come. That is our true home. Right now, we're exiles. We're living in not home. This is not our home. And so remember, Peter is writing maybe 30 years after Jesus returned to the Father. So these are new Christians, like Addie this morning. They were probably, some of them, baptized just recently. Like our four confirmands today, some of them had professed their faith for the first time in Jesus just recently. And Peter's writing them this letter because like a lot of us, I think they had hopes. Like, I, I ask this question every time, and then you kind of see a nervous look on someone's face when they're old enough. When I baptize you, and then I say, is everything different? And you can see when you're in the water, it's like, okay, am I supposed to say yes? Maybe I'm supposed to say yes. Does it feel different? Am I different? What's different? Well, you're wet. That's different. But, 
we, but I, I always feel this, like, like you're supposed to come out and it's just sunshine, roses, and ponies waiting for you when you come out of the water. That was my, you made my day, Addie, when I, I looked at you and I said, and it was sunshine, roses, and ponies when you came out, right? And she looked like, okay, am I supposed to say yes? What does he want me to say <laughs> We feel that, right? Like coming to Jesus, everything is supposed to be perfect from that day on. Anybody had that experience? In here, you came to Jesus and your life was perfect. Presley, you, you rock, man. <laughs> and your life was perfect from that day. But Peter knows that for most of us, not named Presley, it's not going to be perfect. It's not. Those early Christians, they had hope that everything would be right, that everything would be just so. That Jesus, those first Christians, believed that Jesus would be back while they were still alive. Only he wasn't. And things weren't always better. In fact, as Christians, just converting to this new faith, this new way of being, they were a minority. Many of them were alienated from their families and their communities for joining this movement. So when we talk about joining the family of God in baptism and in the family of this church in confirmation, for us, we do that a lot of times with our family in the room. But remember, for a lot of early Christians and Christians today in other parts of the world, they're leaving their families earthly families behind, their biological families behind to follow Jesus. Things aren't always better. And then they join these people and they do strange things. They talk about strange things and they hang out with some strange people. They were not like Lily. So Lily in Grain Valley looks like everybody else, but this was Lily in Japan. (laughs) One of these kids is not like the others. And that can be hard. (laughs) We all know that pull to belong, to not stick out, to do and be. They didn't even give you the uniform. (laughs) That was their preschool. (laughs) To look and be just like everybody else. To keep up with the Joneses or the Yamamotos. To toe the line, to do what everyone thinks we should do. Sometimes we just want to not be noticed. Anybody ever feel like, I just want to not be noticed? And even if we don't want to, even if we don't want to live by like everybody else, even if we want to stick out, we want to rebel, the culture around us has this way of drawing us in. Resident of Grain Valley might not be your core identity, but before you know it, you're scrolling through residents of Grain Valley just like everybody else. And with all the money, that the world of bigger, better, faster, more, more, more is pouring into selling us a life that's not our own, it's a real battle not to fall in line with who the world wants you to be, what the marketers and the advertising agencies are trying to sell you. And here in the States, we're the lucky ones. Like, we're not persecuted for our faith like Christians, those early Christians Peter was writing to, and Christians living in the world today. We're not likely to die for our faith here like Peter did. Our risk is, is different, a little, a little less risky maybe. We just have to risk feeling uncomfortable sometimes in company or risk not having the things or doing the things that everybody else is doing, not looking like the people the media tells us we should look like. And yet, the struggle to know Jesus is still real for us, just in different ways to do what he did and to be who he called us to be. 
And that is why Peter wrote this letter, this letter that we're going to be in for the next five weeks. And he wrote it to those early Christians struggling to find their identity in Christ in a world that wasn't ready for that. And it's to us struggling to find our identity to Christ in a world that increasingly doesn't seem to want that. And it's not easy. The road that our confirmands have chosen is not easy. The life that you have chosen is not easy. And more often than not, I think we find ourselves forgetting who we are. Forgetting that while I might live in Grain Valley, I'm not really of Grain Valley. That while I might live in Pittsburgh, I'm not really of Pittsburgh. Even my hometown. I mean, like, I look at that and I'm still like, that, 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 that will always in some part of my heart be my house. That's my house. But it's not really my home. It was never meant to be. It was never the home that God intended for me because I'm a resident of the kingdom of God. We need to start that Facebook page. I wonder what people will say on that one. Residents of God's kingdom. Because that's our true home. And our calling is to live there like we're from there even while we're here. Because while I may have been born into that house, I've been born again into the kingdom of God. That's what those waters mean. That's what Peter was saying when he said in this letter, because he said, by his great mercy, he has given us new birth. There's where that term comes from, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfailing, kept in heaven for you. You see, we've moved. And I don't mean like I moved when I was 21 or 22, 23, and so on. I mean we moved when we moved into those waters. We moved when we moved through and back out like Addie did this morning or Presley did last April. I looked it up. <laughs> last April or like Sydney and Brennan did when they were much younger. We moved when we stood in front of God like our confirmants today and everyone affirmed their faith and told us, proclaimed and professed their faith in Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. Did you all know you were moving today? Moving into a new home, not of this earth. Claiming a new place as your permanent residence. Claiming a living hope when we accept our new home in heaven. For us, we move to our true place of permanent residence. God's kingdom, where Christ rules and the Spirit keeps us moving. And there is joy in that. Although you may not have seen him, Peter says, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You hear that? An indescribable and glorious joy, even on days that feel like a struggle, even on days that feel like I don't belong anywhere. We can lean into that fact that we do have a home. We are citizens of a kingdom of indescribable, glorious joy that we have already received salvation. Even when we have those days where doing what Simon says feels a lot easier than doing what our Savior says, or doing what Simon does would be a lot easier than what our Savior did. 
which reminds me. We've been asking this question all year, so you knew I was coming to it. What did Jesus do? He moved. Like, like my daughter Lily, he moved to another country when he was two. He moved to Egypt to live in exile, and then he moved back to Nazareth. And when he was around 30, he left home, and he left the familiar. He left what he knew. And like Addie, and like many of you, he moved into the waters of baptism and back out again. He was revealed as God's son, like our confirmants today claim their identity as children of God, and things were the never the same because he kept moving. He kept on living a life of an exile, kept on doing things differently than everyone else. He kept on healing the sick, turning enemies into friends, preaching the gospel, helping the blind to see, serving others, loving others, living for others, never truly home. Until that day after the resurrection when he moved once more and he moved back in with the Father, his Father in heaven. And he's preparing a place for us when it comes time for us to make one final move. But until then, the question remains, what will you do? What will you do? Will you, like Jesus, like Peter, like our confirmands are doing today, will you declare this day moving day in your life? Will you begin again to live like a resident of not here, <laughs> like a citizen of God's kingdom? Because that's up to you. Like, you could just sit and do what you always do. Sit and not move if you're like me, except my thumb on the remote or on the screen. Or you can move. You can move into the kingdom of God, living the life of an exile. Amen? Amen.